of Paracast, with your hosts Gene Steinberg and David Bietti. So David, while I was sitting home, having a nice time, eating Indian food, eating Italian food, you joined a whole crew of people and went down to a hotel near Washington, D.C. to go to the X Conference. Tell us about it. Well, Gene, uh, we had Stephen Bassett on uh, the Paracast talking about his desire to get the government to come forward with the information that they supposedly have about the true nature of UFOs and alien beings. And uh, I'm not sure what year this was. It was either the third or fourth year that the X Conference was going on. But uh, it was an interesting event. I got to see some old friends, got to make a few new friends, and uh, we all got to see some people make incredible fools of themselves. Not everybody did. There were some phenomenal speakers. I, I should make a call out now to people like Richard Dolan, who shows again that he is one of the leading lights of serious research in the UFO field in an absolute sense. Uh, we got to uh, see Nick Pope speak, and if there was ever a guy who was extremely compelling in terms of having real hard information and presenting it in a serious but also uh, entertaining fashion, that would be Mr. Pope. And uh, uh, then there was everything else. And uh, suffice it to say that as much as I appreciate what Stephen Bassett is doing, and I think that he is to be applauded for his, for his efforts, there were a few things he said that, that I really strongly agree with. It kind of just goes to show that it's going to be very difficult, certainly to have any aspect of the mainstream media take any of this seriously. And, and sadly, uh, Stephen showed a clip that was uh, shot by a local news station that they had done on the event. And, you know, as I guess we would have expected, they sort of focused on the goofy aspects of what was going on and they played it down and, and sort of ridiculed it, which, again, is sort of what we expected. But it's, it's kind of sad because when you have someone like Nick Pope up giving the British Ministry of Defense website and saying, hey, you can go find out about real cases by going over here and checking this out, for every Nick Pope, there was a Stephen Greer, who Dr. Greer really absolutely went over the deep end. And I'm sure we're going to talk about that a whole lot in this episode, but it's really sad. He uh, basically makes this all out to be... A cult, and that's really unfortunate. That I think really detracts from the seriousness of this issue. What do you guys think, Jeff? Jeremy, chime in, please. Uh, uh, are you <laughs> sure that you want me to chime in? Well, yeah. <laughs> on, on that. Well, that's I mean, why we're having the show, man. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, it's it's just one of those things that you know. I'm sitting there and I'm listening to this guy, and of course, everybody that probably listens has seen him on TV countless times. And we're sitting there, and we, we kind of know what to expect, I think, to a degree. And he Maybe. exceeded every every idiocy that I ever thought about him. He exceeded, you know. I mean, he stood up there and, and said right to the audience that he was working with a European government on disclosure. Well, what European government? Well, I can't reveal that at this point. Multiple then we have, you know, Yeah, and then we, we have... Uh, we have pictures of uh, of an alien child, and uh, oh, he's looking off in this with these this doughy-eyed look that we see so much at some of these con these cons that you know where he's he's just imagining seeing this thing. And of course, I can't reveal that to you right now. And you know, we have pictures being or pieces being analyzed of a uh, an alien craft, but I can't reveal much more than that about that right now. Everything was like one brick wall after another with this guy. 
And he's done this for years now. For years he has sat there and said, we have this and we have this guy and we have that guy. And none of this stuff ever really materializes. It's just basically to hype his talk or hype a, you know, a, a CD or to hype a, a gathering that they're going to do. And, um, I mean, my jaw was on the floor. I'm like, how could anybody actually swallow this? And then what really was horrific to me in sitting in this thing and talking to a fair amount of people this weekend was that the guy gets a standing ovation at the end. Yeah. That was what freaked me out. I said, I got to get out of here. I, I, you know, I just, I got to get out of here. <laughs> that was my, that was my Greer experience for the, the weekend with that. Yeah, I went in expecting to not like him in the same sense that I wouldn't like anyone who's going to present to me something as fact that is uh, not at all provable, which was most of the speakers up there. And so I thought I would not like him in that same sense. But when I saw him, because I've never seen him speak before. But when I heard him talk and I watched his body language and uh, just I just couldn't shake the sense that he's a pathological liar, that it's not even a con for money or anything like that, that he's just, you know, in some way mentally ill. Oh, <laughs> boy. Okay. Okay. So he, you're saying that he believes his spiel. Yeah, I, I think okay. he does believe his spiel to an extent. Well, it, it's funny because, you know, you talk about like, well, how could he uh, possibly believe that he has pictures? Except I met a guy there who believes that he is the voice of Marvin the Martian after Mel Blanc died and was the voice of <laughs> Mickey Mouse. And yep. he told me personally that George Bush had told him that he could now talk about his abductions and take the implant out if he wants to. Oh. So he might come on my radio show. Um, and he also wanted to introduce my friend Melissa to his uncle Merlin the Magician. So it is quite possible to really think things like that and, and uh, dress yourself and make your way to a conference. Merlin That's the Magician, I can't wait. I mean that my whole life is going to depend on this. Well, <laughs> the, the thing about what Greer was doing, and this, this really needs to be said, let's talk about what he didn't mention. He didn't mention the group of witnesses that he'd assembled that did the press conference at the Washington Press Club a number of years ago. He didn't talk about the credible testimony that he presented in that gathering. He didn't talk about the compelling evidence that these people put forward. He didn't talk about that. He made it about him. And I think that's what really needs to be said here. He talked about things in a way that was designed to have the audience stroke his ego. That really what was, was what was going on. And it wasn't an alien child. It was an alien baby. And the way he talked about, oh, it yeah. was just the cutest mm. little thing. It was just kind of weird. Uh, it was there's a beautiful other, alien baby. Right, a beautiful uh, alien a, baby. Yeah. Can I just uh, throw this in there? That, sure, Jeremy, that, go ahead. It, I mean, you talk about cult-like. It. He talked about that this is all part of, and the fact that he has this, you know, free energy devices or whatever it is that he has yet to reveal for the last however many years, um, that it's all part of an unfolding plan. So I guess in the beginning when people sort of believe that he was the real deal, you know, just a doctor from a small town, as he liked to repeat, you know, coming out and, and begging for disclosure, but didn't mention any of this other stuff, didn't mention, oh, I'm also an abductee and I had a near-death experience and aliens used to come down when I land, uh, I'm sorry, when I was a kid and, and land and talk to me. I, apparently not ever mentioning any of that stuff at the very beginning of his going public is part of his unfolding plan. I, I mean, yeah. it just, it, it just, I mean, what is the next stage of this plan? It cannot be good. <laughs> yeah. Well, well I, I don't know about the rest of, you know, I don't know about the other two of you, but I'll tell you the thing that made my knuckles go white. And I got to say this before I forget it is that he made what I think correlates so closely 
to another UFO cult that we're so familiar with at this point. That we um, shall not name. Right, exactly. The cult that, that shall not be named. Right. Yeah, he made the statement that people having the experience or experience were not largely not having the experience that he was having because everything that people like me are having is essentially government-made you know, automaton robotic entities that are coming in and, and interacting with us. The only way to have the true experience or experiences through him is, is, is the bottom line as to what he said. If you deduce what he said, that's what he said. And in other words, it's one of those, you can only get there through me or you can only get there through buying my CD or my DVD or coming to an outing. Everything else that people are experiencing in, in effect is not the legitimate experience. And I'm, I tell you what, <laughs> you know, I broke a tooth. So they were clenched so tightly at that point. And, well, listen, uh, if you're out there and you're listening to his talk and it sounds like, well, uh, I understand what you're saying, but I don't agree with you. I still think he's a good guy. All you need to know is this. He, he says that he knows that there were UFOs at Roswell and they were, you know, spacecraft that were shot down by our government using some sort of, you know, uh, whatever it was, a ray device, whatever it would be. And so, and they have, you know, means obviously of detecting these, these spaceships coming in and then shooting them down. And then in the next breath, tells you to come out with him to go to the woods or the wherever it is that he goes to, you know, shine a light into the sky to call them down. So he's calling down these craft that our government would then what? Get on radar and shoot out of the sky? I mean, you know, it just is nonsensical. Well, that's what happens when people spin these stories. They don't think about all the angles, they don't tie the loose ends together. And, and, you know, not that this is going to be the Greer bashing episode, but we have to bring this up because he was indeed presented as a major star at this thing. He did oh, yeah. indeed get a lot of people standing up and cheering him on. And well, I'm going to tell you the scary thing, because I, I have friends who I, you know, I think almost lost in the car ride back because they really believe in Greer. And one of them takes his little ambassadorship courses and all that. And she went out into the woods and she saw lights in the sky, which I would challenge pretty much... Uh, Anyone could probably do that. But okay. So their take on it is this, and on Billy Meyer, by the way. Is I, I, that, I asked you not to. You know, okay, okay. But I'm, I'm just saying, if you want to know why people still believe this in spite of the evidence, I, I think this goes to the heart of it. You've got to see past whether or not they're lying about in certain things or egotistical about certain things. It's their heart that you have to judge. What are they bringing to the table? They're, they're, you know, Greer is all about saving the planet and free energy and all that good stuff. And so it doesn't matter if he's lying about certain things because at the heart, he's a good man and you've got to really see what he's doing. You've got to look underneath all of the, you know, essentially the connection you make with a, a normal person, which is, are they telling me the truth or not? And see, you know, his inner nature. I mean, oh. hello? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We have William Burns, the publisher of UFO Magazine, on hand, and he has a special offer for listeners of the Paracast. Hi, Gene and Dave. Good to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Here's our special offer. Because we love Gene and Dave and the Paracast, we are offering six issues for the price of five. Normally, when you send me a subscription for $19.95, a new subscription, you get five issues. It's our introductory offer. But just for our friends on the Paracast and friends of Gene and Dave, we're going to throw in an extra issue and give you six issues for the price of five. That's six issues for $19.99. 
just for you. How do we take advantage of this offer? There are three ways to take advantage of it. One is, if you're online, go to www.ufomag.com. Hit subscribe when you come to the PayPal page. Just put in under item, Paracast Offer, 1995, and I will know that you get six issues for the price of five, or you could send your check or money order to UFO Magazine, Post Office Box 11013, Marina Del Rey, California. That's Ray spelled R-E-Y, California, 90295. Put down your name and your address, and on your name and address label, put down Paracast offer. You can also put it on your check for 1995 in your money order. I will know exactly what it means because I'm psychic, and I will credit you with six issues instead of five for that 1995. Or you can call me at 1-888-UFO. 6242, leave me a message, I will call you back, or if I'm in the office, I'll pick up and just say, hi, I'm a friend of Jeans and Dave's, I listen to the Paracast, here's my special offer, and I will take your name and address and your credit card and send you six issues for the price of five, and that's how you do it. Gene and I love to hear from our listeners. If you'd like to share your thoughts with us, send your messages to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to check out our website at theparacast.com, where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums. Also, please patronize our sponsors. Tell them that you heard their ads on the Paracast. They'll appreciate it, and we will too. You are the with You're listening to the Paracast, and David and I are talking with our friends, Jeff Ritzman and Jeremy Vaney, talking about the X Conference. I did not attend, they did. And the question I always have about these events is you have people who are sane and sensible and logical, and then you have the crazies in the same venue. So the question is, why do good people like a Richard Dolan and all the others and Nick Pope go on when you've got all these loons coming up after them, before them, etc. Who wants to take that first? Well, I actually asked Nick Pope that. And he said, you know, we were actually were specifically talking about Greer. And he said, you know, if Greer would ever speak in Britain, halfway through his thing, about half the audience would get up leave. And the other half would politely smattering of applause at the end. You know, it would be that kind of thing. It just wouldn't fly there. For some reason, it flies here. And he's really upset that he does have to share the stage with these guys and that he's a bit player in this whole thing. And these these guys just get up there and say moronic stuff and are superstars. You know, it bothers him. But I get the sense that it's it's just a matter of he's knows this stuff is real, you know, to the extent that he does and feels the need to expose it, feels the need to talk about it. You know, it's just as simple as that. And if that means sharing the stage with with a crazy person, get the truth out there, then that's what he's going to do. Well, the only problem I see, the thing that I always worry about is doesn't that create a stench in one sense that if people regard Greer or any of these other people as crazy, you will suffer as a result. Well, and, and here we have us, the four of us talking about this when this quote unquote field is so polluted with so many lunatics. But at the same time, the four of us, I think, know 
that something is going on. And, and I'll go out on a limb here and say we know something is going on, but I don't think any of us knows exactly what's going on. And when we have people who are telling us in a definitive way, this is what's going on. I know what's going on. And maybe I'll tell you if I'm in the right mood or if the time is right or if you pay me enough money um, or if you stroke my ego the right way, maybe I'll give you a little morsel of the truth. That When people start saying that stuff, I just instantly turn off to it because it's to be avoided <laughs> absolutely yeah, i mean it is you know why do people like dolan and nick pope go to these things well because they have to talk about this stuff and this is a venue to talk about i mean again there are issues with certain things that bassett says i you know i'll, I'll be the first to say it but i applaud what he's trying to do and, and i will say this bassett made one statement that i i strongly identify with and it's something that we talk about here in the paracast which is that uh, Steve said, you know, he had a big problem with the word belief. Oh, you're a UFO, you believe in UFOs? You know, when you see something in front of you and you see it more than one time and other people around you see it and tens of thousands of people see it or millions of people see it, you don't have to believe in it. You know it's there. Now, do you know what it is? If you're intellectually honest, for the most part, you have to say, no, I don't know what it is. But the bottom line is that this is not an issue of belief. This is an issue of knowing something is going on. Rich Dolan knows something is going on. Nick Pope absolutely knows something is going on. And, and that's why they're there. I mean, I think it's really telling and fascinating that here is Nick Pope, who is telling the audience, go to this website, go type these words into a search engine, and you will find official declassified documents like the stuff that the British military has on Rendlesham and the whole Rendlesham episode in 1980. When you've got UFOs landing on the ground over multiple evenings and you're getting corroborating reports from multiple members of the military and here they are releasing this stuff, I mean, you want a smoking gun? That's a smoking gun. That's definitive proof. I have to get back to Greer for a moment because he was saying, wow, yeah, we've vectored these craft in and we've shot video and we have great pictures and blah, blah, blah. Well, I'm standing up in the audience waving my arm, desperate, desperate for the guy to ask me to ask my question so I could say to him, well, gee, Dr. Greer, where can all of us go and see all of this video and all of the stills that you and your people have acquired? That's the only relevant question to ask, because if he can do this at will, if he's got all of this uh, all of this content, all of these images and video, he kept talking about, we filmed this, we shot that. Well, where the hell are the pictures? Where's the video? If you can't produce that, you've got squat. You've got nothing, and at that point, all you're doing is promoting a religious cult, and the way that he was speaking, what he reminded me of was a televangelist. That's what I kept thinking. He's making all of the hand motions and all of the the modulation of voice that a televangelist would, and he's the Messiah. And that's just a bunch of crap. Now, I gather you tried to ask a question. Did he even make an effort to talk to you or recognize you? No, no, no. And, and what we heard from some people afterwards, and I don't know this to be the case, but we heard that... Apparently, someone claimed that he had plants in the audience and he was only calling on them. 
he did answer me. I was the first person to ask a question. I was right down front, so I raised my hand, and, okay. and he, I guess, couldn't couldn't ignore it. And I, and I asked him very straightforward, how is it possible that in your childhood you had open contact with aliens, and now you have to go into the woods and flash a light at the sky to get their attention? What happened to the, what broke down in that communication? Maybe they don't and, like you anymore, you know. Well, and what he said was, well, we don't just flash flashlights. We have lasers. And he goes on to describe the things that they have. And I say, yeah, but that's not my question. And he waved me off as if to say, well, I'm going to get to it. And then he never got to it. And he just went on. So he just described the technology he uses and didn't, you know, just duck the question. And that's, I assume, what he would do to you, Dave. Well, you know what? Here's the thing. This is what a lot of the charlatans in this field do. You ask a question and they basically ignore it and go into another story. And they say they're going to get back to it and they never do. And this is, this is a debate technique, an evasive technique that's been around for a long time. And in any honest, serious debate, people would call that right in front of them. I mean, what? I'm the only person in the audience that was thinking, where's this video? Where's all the, where, where are all the images you supposedly shot? I can't believe I'm the only one thinking that. I didn't think it because I assumed it was on a website somewhere and I just didn't know about it. No, not at all. You're you're telling me that none of this footage has ever been seen? Absolutely no. not. Not at oh, all. Wow. There is not one single piece. In fact, there was some time ago, there was a thread on ATS that said Greer releases a few pictures from C-SETI events. Oh, and geez. I've always been really hot for that. And I thought, good, let me go see what he's got. And I go to the picture. I go to the web page where some of these things are supposed to be. And what I get is a picture of a rod. That's what I get. <laughs> I was like... It's a bug, you know, uh-huh. and, you know, when people on ATS started to essentially post more like, that's a bug, it's a bug, it's a bug, within a day it was gone. I mean, he jerked it, it down. It the whole feature was gone from the website. So, you know, I, and like I told David this weekend, I wouldn't be at all shocked to see to see some sort of hoax be put out uh, to maybe support this stuff. I mean, I really wouldn't. I wouldn't be shocked to see that. Well, you can always uh, add a drone. They've got plenty of pictures of drone to go yeah, around. I mean, yeah, sure. you use your stock drone picture. I mean, it, that proof is not going to be there. It's just well, not anyone, going to be there. Does anyone know how it is that he got people to come out, um, you know, military and government people to come out for his disclosure press conference originally? These people don't check the background of Greer. These, these people don't look and say, well, who is this guy? He just approaches them and, and are... I don't think any of us can sit here and say that he's not a media slick guy. He is. He's speaking wise. He talks fast. You know, he gets his point across. I mean, you saw how some of those things were slid in. Those really ridiculous claims were slid in there. There was no mumbling in the crowd. There was no murmuring whatsoever. You know, I don't believe that these people actually check him out and say, who is Dr. Greer? Who, what does he stand for? What is, where is he going with this? He put forward the disclosure project to these people, and they thought, wow, you know, finally somebody's going to do something, and they hop on board. I think we're all a little bit devoid of the fact that, you know, outside of our area of influence and area of interest in this stuff, nobody really much pays attention to who's who. You know, the outside world from this stuff, a lot of people don't realize who is who and what's their background and this, that, and the other. They just jump on board. The whole disclosure project and that press conference is a very interesting topic, and I think something very important needs to be brought up about this, because I watched that whole press conference, the video of that I think is floating around on either YouTube or Google Video. I watched all of it, and here's the thing about it. You had 80% of these witnesses being highly, highly credible people like Captain Solace uh, and the Maelstrom event, who is absolutely positively credible, in my opinion. You had people like that. But then you also had 20% of the people who got up there, like Clifford Stone. Very nice man. Nice man. I've spoken to him on the phone. 
Do I believe a word he says? Absolutely not. So you look at that. And what occurred to me as I was watching this, I thought to myself, man, you know what this looks like? This looks like a disinformation effort to basically take a whole bunch of highly credible witnesses and associate them with rubbish to essentially discredit them in any kind of a, a serious way in terms of looking at what they have to say and taking it seriously. Instead, we have credible testimony from Captain Salas mixed in with crazy stuff from Clifford Stone. And what does that do? Basically, it poisons the whole pool. And, and I look at that and I thought to myself, man, it's almost like Greer is involved in a disinformation campaign here and he knows it. And I think it's it's really interesting that he he really didn't talk about all of those highly credible witnesses. He, he kind of just trampled right over that and went right into the idea that he got on a bike with a bad infection <laughs> in his thigh and he, he rode oh. 200 miles in one day, then got to his destination, realized he should probably go home because he was sick, rode 200 miles back. <laughs> Then fell in, this is what he said, I'm listening to this thinking, you rode 400 miles on a bicycle in like one day? I mean, I know how tired I am driving from Jeff's house to Nyack uh, in one day. He got, he rode it in a, on a bike and then he went unconscious, had an interaction with the light beings, aka aliens, aka elves, woke up and was completely cured. Now, look, what I find really interesting is that what he essentially said, all of the interactions he claims he had with beings were in altered states of consciousness where he was affected. They were, they were lucid dreams or trance states. Now, you know, come on, man. What is this? Oh, I summoned a craft. It was outside my apartment. It was shining a light. My roommate and I knew that... The alien from that craft was in the house, but we couldn't see him. It's like, just stop it already. You know, get your story straight for crying out loud. If you're going to make stuff up, at least have consistency with it. Mm. And, and that's something that Greer absolutely fails that test. There is no consistency. And anything that he had that was good is essentially shot. I'm sorry I didn't have a chance to ask Captain Solace what he thought about what Greer said. Because Solace was there. And I've got to think that if he's watching this guy talking about the little beautiful alien baby, you should have seen him. He was six inches long. He's so cute. I wanted to swallow him like one of my daughters. It's like, <laughs> I think Sauce would walk up to him and smack him and go, what are you doing? If you're looking for a better way to present or collaborate during your conference calls, your solution is simple. Web conferencing with GoToMeeting. During your call, everyone logs on to GoToMeeting.com, and your computer screen shows up on their computer screens. It's like you're all in the same room. GoToMeeting is perfect for sales or product demos, training, or real-time collaboration. Plus, you're not charged per minute like other providers. You can meet as often as you want for as long as you need. With GoToMeeting, you can meet with anyone, anywhere, without leaving your office. You'll not only save time, but money, too. See for yourself. Try GoToMeeting free for 45 days. Just visit GoToMeeting.com forward slash podcast. That's GoToMeeting.com forward slash podcast. Try GoToMeeting today. You're in the Paracast with 
Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney, and we have Jeremy Vaney and Jeff Ritzman, and we are talking about the X Conference, recently concluded near Washington, D.C. Now, I'm going to throw out the red herring here, okay? And you yeah. guys could, you guys can talk about this, bounce it back and forth, or ignore me because most people do. And that is, what if the military, the silence group, whoever, who wants to discredit UFOs, helps to set up or sponsor these things, putting real UFO investigators, serious people like a Richard Dolan, a Stanton Friedman, et cetera, et cetera, or a Nick Pope, and then they throw in a few crazies in there to muddy up the waters. In the end, people go there without understanding the ins and outs of the UFO field. They don't know what to think. You know, they hear the crazy people talk and they say, it's got to be all crazy, especially this Greer fellow. And don't you think that serves the purpose of people who don't want UFO reality or what UFOs are all about to be known? Um, I don't think Bassett is that. I think Bassett's a good guy. I think I think he's a decent man with a decent heart. I mean, I do. I think he, he yeah. his heart is in the right place and, and all that. But I think he has he has to put butts in seats and he has to please his financial backers, you know. And so that means drawing a crowd who come out to hear that sort of stuff. It's just an unfortunate. I mean, you, this is the whole crux of the problem. We have to decide in ufology or whatever label it is now. <laughs> I don't even know if people even believe in ufology anymore as a label. But in this, if you know, what are we about? Are we about getting to the, the truth and the facts or are we about selling tickets to people? I mean, that's just it. And the same thing. I mean, I write for UFO magazine and I have the same problem with the magazine, which is there's just too much crap, but the crap sells. Mm -hmm. So what are we about? Selling stuff? I mean, it, it, it's really weird, too, because, you know, a lot of these people, they, they're conspiracy theorists and they complain about the media. You know, even even Bassett, you know, makes jokes about, well, enough about Britney Spears. Let's challenge the news to put this on there. Are you kidding me? I mean, first of all, you're you're doing the same thing. You've got your Britney Spears, which is the Steve Greers of the world, uh, mixed in there with the Nick Popes, which is the real news. So, you know, it's it's ironic that way. But it's also like, you know, dude, you really think that this should be on the news? You know, what you're presenting should be on the news? This is the stuff that they're going to laugh at. And you know what they'll do? They'll find the craziest most eccentric comments and those are the ones that will get the 10 seconds of attention but the people who say normal serious things they won't touch that it's not always just because there's a conspiracy with the media they are looking for ratings and they want the stuff that stands out the stuff that's crazy it's news if it's nutty that's why they concentrate on Britney Spears and Paris Hilton and that juiced fellow from who was arrested in Las Vegas and should stay there go ahead it's the car wreck is what it boils down to I mean I I've been in this thing for 20 plus years, which really scares me. But anytime you got the media involved, that's what they gravitate to—the tinfoil hat crowd, you know. And unfortunately, that's what the majority of the public sees of this stuff. They don't, they, you know, yeah. they see Richard Dolan, but he's not like the real focus. The focus is on, you know, people like Bob Dean who who have a great story to tell, but there's absolutely no proof to back it up, like Greer and and others. I mean, that's it's the most sensationalistic stuff. What they don't get is that if they go to the, the tried and true cases and the stuff that has multiple witnesses and has, uh, you know, strong photographic data, you know, whatever you want, it's there and it's dramatic enough. They don't need to, to gravitate to the, the nut jobs and this stuff to get a story out or to get people to watch. And, and as far as these conventions go, 
again, you know, these people like like Dolan and Pope, there's nobody there handing them, you know, the golden egg. They got to work and they got to do their thing. And and to do that, you got to jump in the fire. I mean, that's the bottom line. There's no other place to go. To me, given Greer, the whole thing about the active disinformation thing, I think it gives him way too much credit. You know, I mean, I've seen people like him for years go on with this stuff, and eventually it falls away. They get caught in something, or or people get fed up with the nonsense, and they they fall away. It, it, they come and go. Or the public really just doesn't have much of a attention span or memory for this. No. Stuff. Well, I mean, I I I'd call Greer the Madonna of ufology because he invent reinvents himself every time I see him. You know, uh, it's constant reinvention. These these people. Never in the whole time that I've known about Greer, which has been a long time now, never ever heard him say, you know, that he's had a, an alien experience. Never did I hear about the near-death experience. All this stuff just kind of comes out of nowhere, out of left field all of a sudden. And again, it's just to generate controversy, to get people talking, to get people to listen. And then he can uh, he can throw the hooks out and see who bites. It's all about fishing. <laughs> I mean, well, let's be clear about this. When I said that the public really doesn't have much of a memory, I'm talking about things like, or people like, Schmidt, Don Schmidt. Now, Schmidt and Kerry were up there talking about Roswell. And something that I noticed, and I mentioned it to both Jeremy and Jeff at the at the conference, was that... When Schmidt talks, he has this way of over-dramatizing himself. He gets very low and serious, and he's looking angry, and he talks like this, and it's... He basically invents gravitas for himself. And when I see someone doing that, I think to myself, he's acting because it is an act for him, and he's playing a role. Now, anybody who does any research on Schmidt will easily find that there are questions about his statements about his professional experience. When we had him on the show with, with Kerry, these guys basically said, we're the only serious researchers. We're the ones. That's it. Now, when we had Frank Warren on, Frank Warren pointed out that Schmidt basically said on the Paracast that he prepared the affidavit that Walter Hoth signed. Now, I think that's very important, and certainly at no point during the X conference did he ever, did I ever hear him mention that. He never said, well, that affidavit, I drew it up, and Hoth signed it. He, he sort of omitted that little revelation. You know what? Maybe he's embarrassed, David, and the reason I think about that is because you could say that and spin it in such yeah. a way that it comes out to be logical. Like you say, well, I worked very closely with Walter Hart to make sure that he said what he had to say and that he made his points and the information he wanted to get across. And I went over and I compiled it for him based on what he said, then I had him approve it. There are always ways you could spin this as a positive, but when you throw it out in passing, well, it's based on stuff. Up they had written over the years, you become suspicious. But as I said, there are positive ways to represent this that you would say, sure, that makes sense. Well, do you guys disregard his entire body of work because of uh, he didn't pass a background check? I wouldn't go that far. I think that indeed some of the work that he's done is valuable, but I just feel that when you find someone who is fabricating chunks of their past, you have to question their objectivity, you have to question their honesty. Once that's compromised, you have to look at what they say and look at it through that filter. And I want to reemphasize that 
often when I hear people speak, for example, on the news, or if I see perfect example would be when Colin Powell gave the talk about the weapons of mass destruction and the aluminum tubes, it doesn't take an expert in body language to see that in, in that little uh, presentation that Colin Powell did, the infamous one, that was used essentially to justify an invasion, you could, you could really see Colin Powell's body language. And it was pretty clear to me, at least. And I think a lot of people, this wasn't just me, I know that a lot of people felt that he was giving away in his body the truth of what he was saying, that he was coerced into presenting this stuff, that he knew it wasn't true. But yet he was essentially ordered to do this. And I think it's very telling that it wasn't a long time after that that he bailed out of the administration. So the point is that when you evaluate what someone is saying, you take into account all sorts of factors, body language, tone of voice. When I watch Schmidt speak, and I had never really seen Schmidt talk in person, when I saw him up on the stage and I saw the way he was speaking, it threw up flags in my head. He was really overemphasizing things, and he was just being overly dramatic. And to me, at least, and this is just my completely subjective read on it, I didn't find him to be credible. You That's just all. think he was pushing too hard, or he's a lousy public speaker, and he was just trying to do what he thought was right. No, he's like that. He's like that in person. That's that's who he is. He didn't yeah. come across that way on the radio so much, though. No, the question was, of do you dump everything he said because he doesn't pass a background check? It wasn't about that for me. Yeah, but then you have to look at it this way too. He lied if someone is that. lying about their background, if you lie about your background, it's like, for example, in a trial, if you catch somebody in a lie, you have to assume that there's a high probability he's lying about something else too. Exactly. I mean, well, that's true. I mean, in this in this business of unknowns, you know, your word is your currency, and uh, yeah, you, the second you lie, your uh, your entire value, your stock collapses. Exactly. Hey, getting back to Gene's original question of, you know, is this set up for failure on purpose? I don't think you're giving enough credit to the fact that a lot of these people are just plain crazy. And, you know, you guys missed this because you left early, but on the last day they had the big panel discussion and yeah. it, it all broke down because Richard Farley, uh, who was instrumental in putting together the Rockefeller studies, he exploded and just grabbed the mic and said, you know, essentially my, a lot of the people on the panel up here are muddying the, the waters of ufology and they're doing so on purpose and they're double agents and, you know, has anyone ever asked why Bruce Maccabee has top secret clearance but is still allowed to, to speak at these things? Nick Pope works for the Ministry of Defense. He goes down the line. Jaime Massan is, you know, an agent and he's just trying to sell the Mexican people these, um, the, these electromagnetic devices that don't work to study UFOs and, and I mean just on and on and um, at one point Maccabee got up and walked out uh, mm. Jaime Massan threatened to but everybody said no and he sort of came back and Richard Farley um, wa essentially walked out and then was outside cussing up a storm to anyone who would listen and people were saying to me well geez I wonder if he's the double agent because right now he's doing exactly what what he's upset about, which is muddying the waters and, you know, in front of reporters, you know? So it would be easy to say that, you know what I mean? Like, if you only saw that, it would be very easy to say that's what, what he is, exactly what he's accusing everyone else of, except that I had a uh, conversation with him at lunch the day before where it was very clear, I mean, <laughs> extremely clear, that he is, you know, whatever, clinically paranoid, let's say, and was going to do that. 
You know, like I would have been surprised if he had not had that explosion because he was telling me about all of these mm. people up there, you know, in confidence that that are doing this. And what was really weird is, you know, I was te- he was asking me about my experiences, um, and I guess he had read some of my stuff or whatever, and he, you know, agrees with my line of thinking on this whole thing. Well, my line of thinking is kind of on the whole, even though in the the parts it is not this, but on the whole, I think positive, whatever that means. So, but and he's saying he agrees with this, this sort of larger esoteric picture of what's going on. But when he gave his speech, his speech was about this is war. You know, and his whole thing was about this is evil aliens doing all of this, you know, and these people are covered. So everything that he was saying he believed on that stage was the opposite of what he was telling me. And I just think he's completely nuts and needs therapy. And I think a lot of them do. And, you know, it's just funny because they started off this conference with Alfred Weber and Michael Sala, who were supposed to be the two. You know, they're starting the conference off with these guys. And these are, you know, one's a doctor and the other's a, a politician, right, Alfred Weber? And they are talking about that, you know, we're at war with aliens. There's going to be a false flag uh, operation. And actually, Alfred Weber, during that press conference said, or not press conference, but Q&A session said that uh, there already was a false flag involving aliens, sort of. It was called the 9-11 attacks. And we used alien beam technology to disintegrate the, the towers. I mean, this was what he was saying, folks. He said that? Yes. (laughs) Yes, he said that. And I'm thinking, wow, this is the guy that Steve Bassett, you know, used for the very first person to open the conference, a guy who believes this? And these guys, they talk about these documents. Several people talked about, you know, a document claiming that Marilyn Monroe was killed because she was talking, you know, uh, going to expose the fact Uh that JFK told her about aliens. Well... You know, this document didn't exactly come about through the Freedom of Information Act, you know? I mean, all of these documents they talk about are suspect, to say the least, and nobody ever says that. They never preface any of their stuff with that. They just talk about them like they're real. Well, the thing is also that if Marilyn Monroe really said that, people would think she's just a Hollywood loon. Nobody would pay attention. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's true, too. That's true, too. And it's just funny because a lot of these people start off, and they start off okay, and you think, well... All right, finally, here's some sanity. You know, Paula Harris. I'd never heard her speak. I don't know anything about her work. And I'm listening to her. You know, she shows a, a video of Phil Corso. And I think, okay, cool. And then she, she admits that, you know, she's sort of an expert in Photoshop. And so she believes really? in Billy, the Billy Meyer photos, which I thought was interesting. And she also shows these pictures that I'm sure everyone's seen by now of, you know, aliens from this uh, whatever contactee in Italy who has pictures of aliens, and those aliens look strikingly like humans. Well, if you can't tell the difference, if I walk up to you and give you a picture of David B. Edney and say, this is an alien... I would believe you 100%. (laughs) I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, if you show me that picture, there would be no shadow of a doubt in my mind that David B. Edney is really an alien. I mean, it's so obvious. Hey there, listeners. Have you ever thought about hosting your website? You know where you can actually host your blog or your web page? Well, I'll tell you where to go. Host I Can. Host I Can. And as a matter of fact, they provide all our hosting, too, for this site. And guess what? Their price starts at only $7 a month. How could you go wrong? 
Its reliability and speed speaks for itself. And that's why we're able to provide you with this radio show that you're listening to right now. It's Host I Can. Give them a try. You'll be glad you did. To learn more about Host I Can, go to this website, techbroadcasting.com. That's techbroadcasting.com slash host. Techbroadcasting.com slash host. And you'll learn more about Host I Can. Fate Magazine provides true reports of the strange and unknown. Keep up with the latest on angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, life after death, and much, much more. To receive your free issue of Fate Magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's one 800 728 2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and the alien David Biedney. And we don't know if he's an alien, Jeremy Vaney and Jeff Ritzman, and we're not sure. But in any case, seriously, we're talking about X-Conference 2007, which occurred recently near Washington, D.C., and all of these esteemed gentlemen were there. And we're talking about it and trying to find the best and the worst and... Coming out of it with, I guess, mixed feelings because we had crazy people and sane people and maybe everybody who sponsored the event went into it with serious intentions, but you wonder. And then you wonder if some of the people, again, the paranoid theory, some of the people who go out and act crazy, well, maybe they do believe it or maybe they're still being sponsored by the so-called silence group to go to these places or encouraged to go to these places to spread their nonsense so that no Nobody would take the subject seriously. And that's what you have to come back with from all these events. Everyone I've seen in recent years, it's the same result. Now, in the old days, let me talk to you about the old days. In the old days, you had a contactee convention and you had a serious UFO convention. And this is a long time ago where you only had so-called scientific people. And then at some point of time, there was a blurring of distinctions where it was everybody went everywhere. You know, you had the crazies, the eccentrics, the scientific people, and everything in between. That changed, what, 20 years ago? Correct me if I'm wrong. Jeff, David? Yeah. Okay. That certainly started a long discussion, but this is um, only the second event I've attended about UFOs in my life. The first one was Jeremy's Culture Contact event, and this was probably on a larger scale, uh, the X Conference. But what I think is important to, to bring up, again, is that to look at the range of speakers, which, of course, you have to kind of do because of the fact that uh, there aren't many Richard Dolans or Nick Popes out there. There just aren't. You have to sort of assemble anybody who's got a real interest in this. I mean, for example, uh, Michael Sala. I don't know if I agree with him. Uh, Jeff and I heard uh, Jaime Massan do an interview with Sala, and he seems like a really soft-spoken, intelligent, reasonable guy. I mean, that was my impression of him hearing Massan interview him. So we have to differentiate people's 
approaches in public speaking and their general demeanor and attitude from the content they're actually presenting. I mean, from that point of view, Michael Sala would be a good person to have speak uh, about this topic. But when you start talking about, all right, we have to have political dynamics with these creatures, uh, I, I don't know that I buy any of that. I don't know that I believe that the government has political dealings with these beings. I mean, I know there are a lot of stories about this, but I haven't seen any evidence to support this. I don't mind hearing uh, the stories if they preface it by saying we don't really know the answer to this. They never do. They present it as all fact. Well, that's the biggest problem I always complain about. As soon as somebody gets up there and says, I know this to be true, I know that to be true, I say, wait a minute, I'm suspicious of that. And I think that's the questions I've had with a lot of people. Now, I understand the confidence in one's convictions. You feel absolutely certain that the things you're talking about are genuine. You've followed the subject for many years, and you can say with certainty, okay, there's spaceships and like that. But as soon as you say disclosure's happening in two years, there will be congressional hearings, and that will solve the problem. And that goes back to even to the days of Major Donald Kehoe in the 50s and 60s. Then I have to say, wait a minute, folks. This doesn't sound good to me. Yeah. Um, when you have that, and also we have to mention that there was a term, a new term for me that I heard this weekend, phenomenology. <laughs> that I heard it bandied about, and the idea being that the only important thing in discussing this topic at the X conference were the government implications of interactions with alien beings that any discussion of actual UFO sightings or UFO experiences is somehow secondary, that that is not the major emphasis, that that is essentially deprioritized and it's given this name phenomenology. Well, I submit that in fact all we have when we talk about UFOs is indeed phenomenology. That's it. Anything else is essentially conjecture. Anything else is hopeful fantasy. That ultimately the only real thing we can discuss are photographs and videos and witness testimony of interactions. That ultimately that's really at this point the only solid stuff we have. I mean Dr. Bruce McAbee, who uh, I came away from this event thinking now he's even more of a personal hero to me than before, an incredibly nice, humble, knowledgeable, seriously knowledgeable guy. To me, he is impeccable in his in his understanding of analyzing photographic evidence. The guy is right on the money. Period. I mean, I don't see how anybody can question his credentials or his knowledge. They just can't. He is a true scientist, just like Stanton Friedman is a true scientist. Whatever issues I might have with some of what Stanton says, the bottom line is that this is a scientist speaking. And when a scientist speaks, that guy has more credibility than an armchair researcher. When Dr. Maccabee is only presented as part of a small panel, is not given his own whole session to talk about the photographic evidence he's accumulated, the images he's analyzed, because he's sitting on an incredible treasure trove of information and of data. 
he's the kind of guy that even though he's only involved with phenomenology, well, hell, he's got real hard information. He's got real wisdom to share. And I think that's what we need. Jeff and I were talking about the fact that at the um, at the banquet ceremony where these awards are being given out, we were really surprised and, and, and very disappointed. That Dr. Maccabee is not someone who apparently has been awarded any kind of recognition by uh, by this organization, and that, that's just unfortunate because this is a guy who's been looking into real cases for a long time. He's a guy who, as far as I'm concerned, if he says a case is bogus, I believe him. I know that he knows what he's doing. If he says a case, this case is worth investigating, and he says that photographic evidence for a case is compelling. Well, you know what? I'll take his word over anybody who says that they're talking to secret government operatives or to governments that, oh, I can't talk about what that government has told me. I can't reveal the source of photographs. I don't see Maccabee holding back on anything like that. Now, granted, the guy is involved in working for the government. Yes, this is true. The guy has a real job working for the government. Does that mean that we're supposed to discredit what he says because, oh, he's a double agent? That's nonsense. And if I had heard Dick Farley say that, I'd smack him. That's crap. Okay, when you've got Maccabee making a statement about something, that to me is as solid as anything gets. And discrediting phenomenology or somehow deprioritizing it personally... I found that to be a real problem, and to me, that further degrades the level of the discourse. Let me ask you, who got awards over there at this particular ceremony? Jaime Musan was one. Okay. Uh, Antonio Hunias was another. Sure, I know Antonio. And, um, wow. Uh, The very first one, Jeremy. The politician from Phoenix, what was her name? Yeah, the, oh, uh, uh, Francis Emma Barwood. Francis Barwood, right. yes. She used to be, you know, kind of powerful in politics. But there was someone who was first who was from, I believe, South America that essentially had been, you know, had lost his country and, and they made a big deal out of that, that, that he was... Um, Kunas. He was talking about Kunas. No, somebody else was, was in there oh, first. Wow. I was going to say Don Quixote. Was that one? I, no, I didn't. I didn't recognize the man's name, but there was one other one that I can't remember. Hmm. Well, Donald Kehoe is in the Marines. Okay, he's a right. balloon. He was a balloon pilot in the 1920s, and he's long dead. You know, no, I know, but I thought they gave an award to him, like a lifetime achievement. Or sure, something. sure. Okay, all right. So nothing about a Richard Dolan or a Nick Pope or all that stuff. No, sure. not uh, at this year's event. No, and and I expected a Maccabee though. <laughs> right. Right. Um, well, but no career either, let's remember. I mean, that's kind of telling. Right. Well, at least that maybe makes sense in this context. Now, David, because of our encounters with Greer, he was on two shows, and the fact, of course, that he's been blasted in our message boards for well over a year now, did you personally talk to him or meet him or acknowledge him privately? No, I couldn't get near him because he was surrounded by people most of the time. I just couldn't get access to him. People like his people, you know, like his Well, he wasn't there for the whole event. He kind of blasted in for his session and then blasted out again. Yeah, he Uh, came in late because he was away at uh, a meeting, and then he left early because he had to go to a meeting. mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he didn't stick around. Yeah, he didn't stick around. Like Um, the big star who arrives late and then he leaves early with his handlers. Right, Mm -hmm. exactly. I think it would have been really interesting to have some one-on-one time with him, but... You know what, Gene? We've had one-on-one time with him here on the show, 
And um, the minute we try to pry in any serious way, he, he gets very defensive, or almost argumentative. So it's hard to have a constructive conversation. I think that's what we found on his appearances on the Paracast. When we asked him about some of the financial motive, if you remember, he got really, really offended and just sort of shut down. Right. He also mentioned, look, all the money that he could have made as an emergency room physician. And now he was not making that kind of money. And look what he had given up for the sake of ufology and how dare oh. we question that. But but you know what? Now I've got to mention that he brought up that he has four daughters in college, and he specifically mentioned that one of the daughters' college tuition was costing $38,000 a year. So if you've got four daughters in college, well, you must be making money somewhere. It's the only, make, it's the only thing that makes sense. I mean, he's not, he's not, you know, they're not letting his daughters go to school for free. So. Well, of course, some of us have kids who manage to earn scholarships. And they find ways to have it paid for them by the school, by government grants, and occasional student loan. They don't need to be rich. Of course, it requires really bearing down and doing the proper thing with your studies. And, of course, I'm talking about specific instances that I'm aware of, but you get the point. Well, he specifically mentioned that this was a real financial burden on I gotta wonder about that. Well, I think anytime also you see a person whose whole shtick is repeating over and over, I'm just a simple man from a simple doctor from a small town or whatever his thing was, it's, you know, it's not that. You know, he doesn't believe that. There's something else going on there. So, I mean, you know, it's all, it's, it's all the act. The whole thing is the act. Does anyone even know if he's a doctor? I mean, you know, how deep does the act go? Well, I think he is really a doctor, or at least from what I've heard, that he is really a doctor. I'm not going to dispute that. And I understand your skepticism because there have been people in the UFO field who have had bogus doctorates. Going back to George Hunt Williamson, which was one of the witnesses to the George Adamski contact in the 1950s, he was among a group of people who had bogus degrees, mail-order degrees, etc., etc., etc. And certainly we are aware of other people in the field, some of whom claim to be the only legitimate investigators into a certain crash at Roswell, New Mexico, who also have credentials that might be subject to question. But understand, I'm not saying anybody specifically, of course. Well, so what, the, do you, what do you... Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, what do you guys think is the remedy for this? I don't I know mean, that sh this one. Should we put on our own little conference? Should we say, hey, Stephen Bassett, because he seems like a nice guy and seems open to suggestion, here's who we'd like to see represent disclosure, who we think is... Uh, you know, a real insider and, and important uh, because his whole thing, you know, for this was the insiders um, and just give him a short list of, um, you know, legitimate people. I think you're being idealistic there. I don't think Stephen Bass is going to look at our suggestions and take those seriously because he has relationships with these people. And um, obviously he thinks they're the right people and he's brought these people back again and again. So I don't know that you get very far with that. I don't know that there is an audience necessarily for a legitimate event. Maybe that the reason there are events like this, not to say that, that the X conference wasn't legitimate, but, you know, if you went and looked inside of the vendor room, then you ended up talking to people like the Cydonia guys, <laughs> um, you know, with the whole Mars. That's a parrot on Mars. Don't you yeah, see the I parrot? Know. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. So the problem is Probably that. Probably want a cracker. Probably want a cracker. <laughs> I know, but. Parrot. No, no, but. Okay, okay. You crazy. Hey, guys, crazy. before we go on. 
we're going to break for the hourly break right now, and we will proceed without the parrots in part two of our session with Jeff Ritzman and Jeremy Vaney on the Paracast. Gene and I love to hear from our listeners. If you'd like to share your thoughts with us, send your messages to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to check out our website at theparacast.com, where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums. Also, please patronize our sponsors. Tell them that you heard their ads on the Paracast. They'll appreciate it, and we will too. You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast. Back with the Paracast, we're joined by Jeremy Vaney and Jeff Ritzman, and we are talking about the X-Conference 2007, sponsored by Stephen Bassett and his organization, which took place very recently near Washington, D.C. Of course, Jeff, David, and Jeremy went there, and they came back with various and sundry feelings. So, David, you went out and looked at the concession stands, and sometimes the concessions can give you either a picture of the kind of people they expect to show up or just anybody who wants to try to make a few extra bucks for the weekend? Well, I think it's important to mention that um, I noticed that Stephen Bassett wasn't charging anybody for tables in the concession area. These were actually free to people. So what ends up happening is that anybody who's got something to sell shows up. That's not surprising. Uh, I, I don't know that you could find someone who had a large collection of relevant, coherent, and serious material. I don't know that that's the nature of the beast we're talking about. So like anything else, you, you had kind of a hodgepodge of stuff where you could buy books and videos about you know the parrots and the birds and the, the other assorted animal life forms on Mars represented in sculpture. I mean, we, we sat and Jeff and I sat and watched this guy uh, give his presentation to us. And he seemed like a nice enough man. Again, seemed like a reasonable character on the surface. But he, you know, he kept referring to Richard Hoagland as his associate and basically had all of these mirrored images that, I mean, it was ultimately a photographic Rorschach test. What do you see here? Oh, gee, I don't know. I see uh, a taco. It, it, it's kind of silly stuff like that. But I want to get back to the serious talks for a moment. I think that, in my opinion, the best presentation of the whole weekend was Richard Dolan. And this shouldn't surprise anybody. I think very highly of Richard's work. And I think highly of his presentation style, but I think this guy is the one really serious scholar in this realm. I mean, Nick Pope was a guy who was on the inside, no question about that. But Dolan is the one that's done a lot of the really heavy, intense research. And it's interesting because I know that Paul Kimball, who indeed was there and screened his documentary, the ten, the best evidence, the ten best cases on what was this, uh, Friday night? Yeah, it was on Friday night that he screened that. And people seem to really like it. I think it's a really good documentary, and I hope he gets American distribution very soon. I think Dolan is the one true scholar in this room. And I know that Kimball has some issues with him, 
Uh, and speaking to Paul, uh, Jeff and I had lunch with Paul and Chris McBride on Sunday, and he indicated that they had kind of worked a bunch of their stuff out, that he maybe didn't agree with everything that uh, Dolan says, but uh, he doesn't have some major personality issue with him. But in sitting through Dolan's presentation, I thought it was fantastic that Dolan did, in a reasonable way, diagram the reality, for example, of the United States government at this point, uh, documented what I believe is the reality of the power structure and how it's designed to keep a certain level of control over the population, how it's designed to both discourage and discredit serious discussion about a lot of topics, not just UFOs and paranormal stuff, but really a lot of serious topics about the real nature of power in this country and how it relates to the rest of the world. I think Rich set a really accurate framework for discussion of the UFO situation. And the other thing that I think is really telling about Rich's presentation is that he doesn't claim to know things in a definitive way. He left the possibility open for lots of things. A perfect example of that is the idea that if we had access to unlimited levels of energy, if we had the zero field energy device that people like Greer claims exist, would this actually solve our problems or perhaps amplify them? You know, if we had free energy the way that essentially oil has been basically free energy for the last 150 years, if we had that free energy, would that simply mean that we would deplete all the rest of the Earth's resources even quicker? I don't see many people talking about free energy and framing it in that context. And I think that the fact that Richard Dolan does that means that he's truly thoughtful. He's really thinking this out. And that's something that, no, we don't see a lot in the discussion of what UFOs are really about. We see people making claims, having videos or information or insights that they can't share, that they won't share, that they'll share at some future point in time. Um, but they can't point to a body of research and say, look what I'm presenting. And I think that, you know, it's pretty clear that it, are, it is up to the Richard Dolans of this field to, if anything, save it. They're the only real hope. Otherwise, I'm with Jeremy on this, that if this is what we're going to continue to have is this mixing of reasonable people and lunatics, that we're not going to go anywhere with this. Maybe we should all just find something else to talk about because this is going to turn into an exercise of extreme frustration. And really what's going to happen is that Certainly, Jeff and, and I have garnered our chunk of enemies, our little group of people who have problems with things that we've said that take exception to our claims of our experiences. I'm sure, Jeremy, you probably have the same thing. You have people saying to you, well, gee, Jeremy, you're just hallucinating. You know, why are you even looking into this stuff? And so, you know, you get to the point where you start to think, why am I doing any of this? This is all just a waste of time. People are going to believe what they want to believe. And ultimately, uh, the masses are not very bright. They're going to buy into the most charismatic speaker. Richard Dolan didn't get the kind of enthusiastic response that Stephen Greer did. And I think that's embarrassing. I think that is terrible. Well, yeah. the the silver lining for me, and I know this is going to sound like the cheesy, hopeful note to end uh, this part of the spiel on, is meeting Jeff Ritzman, uh, meeting Paul Kimball, seeing you, and uh, and even Nick Pope, you know, who I never thought I'd make a real connection with, you know, in a million years, and I did, and I think meeting people who 
are both experiencers of this and investigators of this who really are deep, you know, and really are critical thinkers and haven't lost their facility for that was a little turning point for me because as you know, I've been I've been talking about geez, maybe it's time to get out, you know, maybe all of this is is crazy and I am by by association, but no, I mean it, it's almost a little bit hopeful and to see these people just going nuts uh makes me think that maybe they're starting to eat their own, you know, maybe this whole old school um, mentality of let's just sell, 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 get up on that stage. And if it, if it's not, you know, uh, something totally drastically different from what we did last year, it's not going to sell. So we got to invent some stories to, to better it. Um, you know, maybe that's all going the way of the dinosaur just very slowly. We're just sort of on the tip of it. You know, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm just saying, I, I feel like <laughs> you guys are it, man. You know, you're the, you're the next wave. And so, you know, if we, we got to make the decision, are we gonna are we gonna do something about that, or are we gonna just let it go? I mean, it's really sort of up to us in a way. Just think of it this way: if the existence of serious paranormal research rests on my shoulders and David's shoulders, and we have big shoulders, oh, we are in serious, serious trouble, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, we'll we'll be the next ones to go insane. So, well, no, I think so. I mean, it's the, it, it, I mean, consider it like a punk rock movement. It's it really is. It's like yeah. a punk rock movement of ufology. It's like, all right, enough of this crap. I mean, especially you know, guys like us who are experiencers who are sick of listening to other so-called experiencers, you know, talk about this this just completely awful stuff. And it is difficult to, you know, because in a sense it is subjective. Who are you going to believe? You know, which which guy with a crazy tale you're going to believe? But, uh, you know, I don't know. Personally, as a guy with a crazy tale to tell, I feel like I have just a slightly better handle on who's BSing who. And, um, yeah. Uh, so, uh, I don't Which know. is ultimate frustration for you, as you know. I mean, it's ultimately frustrating when you've had that kind of thing happen. And yeah. you see someone who you clearly know is is completely BSing you, you know, that's that's the ultimate frustration. So you know, maybe sit up there and watch Greer. <laughs> right. And I guess part of my point about Bassett is that he is a decent guy and he is open and he is hosting these conferences. And I think he does, you know, I think he's, well, he's told me in so many words that it's like time to pass the torch and, you know, I'm part of that movement that he should pass the torch to. Well, maybe it's time to call on that. Maybe it's time to say, all right. Since you trust me, and since you trust my judgment, trust my judgment that these people are insane, and you need to get a new breed of people up there, and, you know, right. I'll, I'll handpick them. Well, you know, we'll get a little committee together and, and pick them. So, so here's the thing. There was a comment on the Paracast forums in the last, well, I guess by the time people hear this, it will have been in the last week, that uh, one of our listeners said, gee, it seems like all these guys talk about are the personalities in ufology, not the actual UFOs themselves. And, it, of course, anybody who's listening to this episode is thinking, gee, all they're doing is bashing people or telling us who they like, who they believe, who they don't believe. Jeff and I have had long talks about this, and one of the conclusions that we keep coming back to is that when we really hopefully get to some real understanding of what this is about, probably going to find out that this is about people. This is not just about lights in the sky or objects landing on the ground. It's not just about technologies that have been repurposed by private industry. That this is really, to a large degree, about people's perception of reality and their influence over reality. And this takes us to a place where the nuts and bolts crowd don't want to go. They just don't want to go because we have to now start to look at 
what are what are the powers of a human being? How do we influence the nature of reality, both perceived reality and physical reality around us? Maybe there's some untapped potential that we don't fully understand. And I was actually very happy to hear Richard Dolan make a, a very brief, but I found very pointed comment about that, that maybe that part of what's going on here is not very obvious, that perhaps the true nature of this is one that we don't read a lot about. And and it's important to make the point that to come up with one overall theory for all of this, a unified field theory of UFOs and the paranormal, perhaps is not realistic. But that said, a lot of us, and I think Jeff and I both fall into this group, and Jeff, please correct me if I'm wrong, Mm -hmm. uh, a, a lot of us feel that the true nature of what most of this is about, I mean, there are, in my opinion, I don't know this, but I suspect that there are indeed some alien beings, alien as an extraterrestrial, that have visited or are visiting this planet. But that's just one aspect of it. That may be really what we're dealing with is something far more subtle, far more complex, and that maybe the majority of our interactions with these non-human entities have an actual explanation that is so outside of the kinds of topics we heard discussed at the X conference that people are really not ready for them. That people, if confronted with this stuff, would essentially say, oh, that's just so far out there that I'm not even going to give it any credence. I'm not going to spend any time on it because it's just not so. One of the, the things I heard many times mentioned this weekend was Occam's razor. The most obvious explanation is the truth. And I would submit that people, when they say that, what they're really saying is the simplest explanation is the truth. And I don't think the explanation for this ultimately is going to in any way resemble anything simple. I think that's the exact opposite of what's really going on here. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're well, talking about something that for years has been, I mean, we've known this. I mean, you and I have had long, long discussions about this that, you know, 10 years ago, you know, we knew that this was a highly subjective experience as a whole and that whatever we're dealing with seems to exist on the very edge of our perceptions. And to look at nuts and bolts is getting old. We have no evidence of nuts and bolts at all that's ever come out in all this time, and it's time to look somewhere else. How many times do we have to say it? I think most of you know that I love radio, and so I decide to look for the ultimate receiver for AM reception because I want outstanding AM reception, day and night, especially night where it gets difficult. So I've discovered that C-Crane CC Radio Plus has earned the reputation of having the best AM reception, which is exactly what C-Crane intended when they designed this gem of a radio. Along with its legendary AM reception, it also has excellent FM reception, a weather band, TV audio, and the ability to run on batteries for, and listen to this, 250 hours. 
So whether you use it as your bedside radio in your kitchen or at work, the CC Radio Plus will give you the pleasure of clear AM reception. The radio is designed for the clarity of the human voice and the benefits of useful features like five memory buttons per band. They work just like memory buttons in your car, a sleep timer, an alarm clock so you can get up at the right time, and a weather alert that now works as an all-hazards alarm. You know what I want you to do? I want you to buy that radio, but also support this show by visiting techbroadcasting.com slash ccrane. That's techbroadcasting.com slash ccrane to order the CC Radio Plus for $164.95, and that includes free ground shipping and a free ccrane catalog. Place your order today. You're in the PowerCast with Gene Steinberg, David Biedney, Jeff Ritzman, and Jeremy Vaney. Join us talking about the 2007 X Conference. And, Jeremy, you're going to talk about something in response to what Jeff just said. And certainly, is this going to be about the complexities and the side issues of the UFO enigma? Yeah, well, it's going to, it's about this. It's the, One thing you guys missed by not chatting with people late at night at the bar is their real stories. And so a lot of these people who go up there to present nuts and bolts, they do so because they know that that is what is factually something they can give to reporters. You know, it's like, you know, documents and, and all that sort of stuff is something that you can latch on to in a realistic, logical way but that their stories actually run a lot deeper, and they actually don't believe the nuts and bolts thing. Aha. Uh-huh. This is not unusual. So they're unusual. not disclosing sure. that disclosure. And they tell you this. They get a little tipsy, and they lean in, and they go, okay, now I'm going to tell you the real thing. I've never told anyone this, and if you repeat it, I will deny it. And then they tell you. And you go, my God, to a person, it's like it literally, or almost literally, is a convention of pirates where they all get together. They don't trust each other. They've all got their hands on their gun. They don't necessarily believe the person next to them's entire life story. And, but, and they're all there to you know, talk about disclosure and then not disclose anything, thinking that the person next to them will think they're a fraud. And meanwhile, the person next to them has the same secret story. Well, so the thing that you raised there, which is something that's not unusual, because I know of some UFO researchers, some of whom I've mentioned on the show, that have had some extraordinarily unusual experiences but they won't reveal them in public. And it's a matter of being politically correct or being cowards or being just afraid to look crazy. You know, you say, look, UFOs are crazy enough. We're coming over here and we're saying that the aliens are coming here. We need to understand it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And now if they were to tell you what really happened to them and maybe what happened to them is no different than what happened to you, Jeremy, what happened to you, Jeff, what happened mm-hmm. to you, David. These things are happening, but they won't say them for the simple reason that they do not feel they're ready for the feedback. They don't want people to think they're not only partly crazy, but they've gone off the deep end totally. It's politically correct. It's maybe being fearful. It's palatable. It's it's a question of palatability. I mean, you're you're talking about something that's already weird enough as it is. And I've always said this to David as well, that the real crux of this issue is going to come out of the weird stuff that no one wants to talk about. (laughs) 
You know, and the fact that someone has to get half inebriated to finally break down and say, okay, now here's the real deal. That's the kind of stuff that people need to hear. And that's why at no point, and you guys know this from being on this show with me, you know, <laughs> and having me on, that I don't hold anything back. As bizarre as it is, that's what it is. And the devil's is going to be in the details of that. So Now, Jeff, if you, know. you, if you were to have held back... Uh-huh. Like these guys do. What do you think that would have done to you psychologically? Do you think that's the reason some of these people are so insane? I think more and large, I would have said, why or oh, why later on? Why or oh, why didn't I come out with this sooner to go over the real bizarre things like I talked to you about? And when we were sitting with Nick and Paul in, in the bar that night till 4 a.m., it probably would have worn on me a little bit. I don't know that it would have made me crazy. I think really when you're talking about the weird stuff as it is, what is the harm? in spilling it all of it because you're going to find people that go yeah yeah that's you know that's the 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 independent confirmation of the weirdness that exists is obvious i mean it's obvious and when you talk to people like i have i mean over the years i mean i've had to ask i've had to drag it out of them is this the whole story is this everything that happened to you that you're telling me or is there something you're afraid to tell me because you think i'm going to think you're a weirdo well yeah you know we kind of had this happen, and it is as bizarre as it gets. And I said, believe me, I understand what you're saying, and it's all about palatability. You know, somebody has to swallow this, and I've got to make it easier. I've got to put a little sugar on it, or i got to withhold something to make it a little more understandable to get their head around it. Devil's in the details. It's going to be the weird things that people have to relate to you that is going to be <laughs> where we might find something new. I'm just going to say something about that because part of what has happened with me on the Paracast is that gradually I've been revealing details of things I've experienced. And it's something that I do with some amount of trepidation. It's something that I do with some level of concern because, for example, I do have personal relationships that have been affected by this. I, in talking with my lovely girlfriend about this stuff, when we had Brad Steiger on, and I, I revealed that in my life I've had interactions with something that people would normally call a shape-shifting being. I mean, just saying that already now makes part of the audience go, oh, God, what is this? Oh, man, he's lost it. I had discussed some of this with my girlfriend I mentioned this on the show. Interestingly enough, there wasn't much reaction on the forums about it. I did get about a half a dozen very interesting private emails, though, of people saying that was very brave of you to bring it up, and, and thank you for doing that. But then, after the show aired, I had a talk with my girlfriend where I revealed more of the details to her about these interactions with this particular being, as it were. At the end, she looked at me and she said, Honey, you are a seriously strange man. Now, she's been really open-minded about all of this, but when I told her some of the deeper details, even my girlfriend, who's very open-minded, who's been very accepting of all of this, was not giving me a huge hard time about it. Even she looked at me, and I think there was a thought in her mind where she thought, oh, what am I doing with this guy? So part of the problem is that it's very difficult. In some cases, it's very painful. And I submit further, I think that for some of us, when we start to delve into these details of high weirdness, even revealing them to ourselves, talking about them and reflecting on them makes us question our own sanity. I mean, I, I, that's not an unreasonable 
reaction to this. And I think that's part of the problem people have, where it's not even that they don't necessarily want to disclose it publicly. They don't even want to face it in terms of their own feelings about it, because this stuff, what I've found in my life, is that it completely turns your perceptions upside down. It completely changes your attitude towards life, towards a lot of things. It changes your attitude towards work. It changes your feelings about who you trust and who you don't trust, Mm -hmm. including maybe not even trusting oneself. So I think that there are deep psychological issues about this that certainly for someone who's never lived through any of this, for someone who's never had a paranormal experience, they can't relate to it. And, And it brings me back to this issue of people saying, God, I wish I had an experience like you. I wish I could feel what that's like. And, you know, it seems rather almost impolite to say to them, well, no, you don't. You don't want to live through this because it will screw your life up. And people go, well, gee, I just, I don't know, give me the experience. I think a lot of people who, for example, go to something like the X conference are people who they want that jolt. They want that thrill. They want by proxy, by osmosis, they want to absorb some of that feeling because I think a lot of people have the sense that if you've had a paranormal experience, that somehow you're imbued with something special, that somehow that by them being in proximity to you, that they can get some of that to rub off on them. And they don't really understand, ultimately, what this feeling is that that you walk away from it with, that it does in some way, in many ways, it messes up your life for good. Do you think possibly, David, that some people, some people who go to those events would be more than we know, what they're doing is they want affirmation that their experiences, the things that cause them to freak out or or just simply for the fact that they underwent something that they couldn't understand, they want an affirmation that other people have the same thing. And the suspicion being that there are a lot more people out there who have these experiences and simply shield them, hide them under the rug. Absolutely. I mean, Gene, that's why I'm here with you doing the Paracast and talking to Jeff and to Jeremy. Um, I'm doing this, as I said on the show before, this is a form of therapy for me. That I can be here with you guys virtually and talk about this stuff, I find gives me a tremendous sense of comfort you know, birds of a feather. I mean, this is this is the whole real reason I'm doing the show. I'm not doing it because I'm looking for people to adore me or worship me or think highly of me. I assume that I'm making more enemies on the show than I'm making friends. That's my assumption about this. But at the same time, I know speaking for myself, and I think that this is probably true for Jeremy and for Jeff, that I want to try to get a handle on this. I want to understand this. Again, maybe it's not possible to understand this, but I've got to try. I spent most of my life burying this stuff, not dealing with it, dealing with my career, dealing with the normal everyday things of uh, the day-to-day grind of life. But it got to the point where this stuff was starting to bubble up in my subconscious. This stuff was starting to occupy my dreamscape. And I had to confront it. I had to deal with it. Now, will anything result from this? Well, the answer to that is that I've made some great new friends, and I've met people I can discuss this with, and there are times when I feel like I am getting just a little bit closer. Even just that sense of getting just a little bit closer 
well, hell, that's enough. I mean, what else is there in life, man? These are the mysteries of life. This is everybody, I think, wants at a core level. The human psyche needs the mystical experience. I think that's why religion is such a popular thing, because it is a sanctioned, branded version of the mystical experience. I mean, why do people go to church? Why do people go to synagogue? Why do people go to mosques? Well, because basically they want to feel like they're part of something that is outside of them and greater than them. They want to believe in things. Problem is, I'm not interested in believing. I don't want to believe. And again, this is where I'm absolutely in agreement with Stephen Bassett, who said, we cannot respect the word belief. The beliefs have nothing to do with this. I am absolutely down with him on that point. I don't really have much of a use for belief in my life. I've seen what belief does to people. I've seen what it does to civilizations. Belief can tear a civilization down in one generation. I want to understand. I'd like to know. And maybe, again, that's a fool's errand, but, man, you've got to try. And that's the thing. And again, you know, we talk about belief. It's not as though, you know, we're tearing apart Greer and these people because we believe them to be lying. It's that they factually are, are saying things that you that are not verifiable, you know, and they're verifiably the opposite of what they're saying. So it's even that isn't a matter of belief per se. But it's just it's interesting to me because I've never been to anything like this. I mean, I threw a conference slash you know festival type thing, but it was not, you know, that was a dog and pony show compared to to this thing and um, more fun I'd think like a dog and pony show, <laughs> but a dog and pony show nonetheless. And uh, I'll tell so you what, let's make the next UFO event the dog and pony show. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Before we ask about the dogs and pony shows... For 58 years, fate has provided true reports of the strange and unknown. Fate brings you the latest in all aspects of the paranormal, like angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, and much, much more. To receive your complimentary Fate magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next. This is not the Dog and Pony Show. This is the Paracast Dog and Pony Show. And we're talking with Jeremy Vaney and Jeff Ritzman about the X-Conference 2007 and other subjects. Jeremy. Yeah, I'm sorry. Just to, to finish up here, I just wanted to say that, that I, I learned something at this conference, which is that ufology mirrors the statistics of UFOs, which is or the statistic of UFOs, which is that about 95% of it is noise and about 5% of it or signal. And if you are a person of signal <laughs> and you know you're wandering around in this crazed atmosphere of 95% noise you know it is amazing to finally meet somebody else like like you it, uh, to me i mean meeting jeff ritzman was like a revelation i mean i know that sounds oh, God. but it really was i mean it really was it was like wow finally you know somebody who gets it and the thing yeah. that you get is that you don't get it i mean that's that's perfectly brilliant you know like why is this happening to this one guy well 
don't know. And you know what? That is the answer. Just don't know. And so many people, they're just no. You know, they Maybe there's no this. reason. You just happen to be there at the right time. Or, and I'm starting to think about this more in, as I get older, that a lot of people have these experiences at some point of their lives. It's part of the experience of millions and millions of people out there. They either ignore them, they forget about them. Mm-hmm. And if they don't forget about them, it could really screw them up or cause them to move into different directions in terms of their life experience. Now, it's interesting talking to you, Jeremy. We've had you on the show twice now, and I just enjoy talking to you. You're a friendly guy, a cool guy, and you're friends of the show now with, of course, friends with David and Jeff and everything. And you were on some other show where I think you got off the air in like five or ten minutes. And what were they thinking? I mean, we talked to you and you're just a great guy. Yeah, right. (laughs) Well, thanks, Gene, for that lovely intro. (laughs) (laughs) I think what you're referring to there, and correct me if I'm wrong, but... Would that be George Snorri? This oh. is George Snorri with Post to Post talking to Jerry Vaney. Jerry, maybe they were angels. How do you yes. know they weren't? Maybe they were Guatemalans that were small and dark. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. What's a coddle, you know, was Mexican, and he had brightly colored feathers and tacos hanging out of his ass. <laughs> Maybe I should have hung up on him. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry about that. That was an evil little detour. <laughs> well, I mean, look, as far as that show goes, and, and we constantly bash that show on here, and for good reason. That show is about <laughs> entertainment. That show is not about seeking any kind of answers. I mean, suffice it to say, any show where the interviewer has to get from an author they're going to have on the show a list of questions to ask. I mean, talk about absolute intellectual laziness. For Christ's sakes, if you're going to have somebody on your show, read their book, watch their video, do some due diligence, do anything. Don't they have producers in a research department? I mean, sometimes hosts, if you're doing a, a show every day, it's hard to read every book. If you're on the air for four hours, you can't spend another couple of hours preparing yourself to help earn your $4 million a year or whatever you're earning? You know what? That's the relevant point. If you're making some serious bling on doing the show, for for goodness sakes, man, put some effort in. Show some actual interest. But then again, a lot of what people do in this realm is about selling product or entertaining. You know, it's about generating controversy for no other reason than to entertain or to maintain ratings. I mean, look at the whole thing with those ridiculous Chad images on, on Coast to Coast. I mean, they basically promoted that, and they had Linda Moulton Howe on there pushing that junk. Ultimately, you might say, well, gee, they're good images. Maybe they thought they were real. They didn't want to deal with any evidence to the contrary. They didn't want to know. Now, you had some interactions with Linda Moulton Howe, and apparently she didn't want to know. Well, yeah, I don't want to make this the Linda Moulton Howe hour. No, we're not. We're just, you know, just in passing. Yeah, no. Jeff and I have both had some interactions with her, and she's the kind of person who's really quick to say, I'm a Stanford graduate. I'm this, I'm that, blah, 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 blah. It's like, all right, fine. Meanwhile, let's talk about the cases at hand. Let's talk about the facts of the situation. Let's leave personalities out of it. And again, I know. Our listeners listening right now going, well, gee, this episode isn't exactly about leaving personalities out of this. You guys are bitching and moaning. You're complaining. Of course, you know, Gene and I are both native New Yorkers, so 
Jeremy, what part of the country are you from? Are you a native New Yorker? Uh, Massachusetts. Not close enough to count. And Jeff is uh, Jeff is from Jupiter, so we know what he's right. up to. Yeah. Constant Jupiter bitching, four, right? <laughs> what? Constant oh, but, bitching. Well, we, we, we make these noises because I think that there is a very high level of frustration for those of us who are serious about this. And like I said before, the Paracast is basically my public little therapy session. So when people write in and go, well, you're, you're doing this, you're doing that, you're not entertaining us. It's like, well, you know what? This isn't about entertaining you. This is about talking about this stuff. And this is what comes up. And we are trying to figure out ways to have more productive discussions about this. Ultimately, we're trying. At least we're trying. I think when we deal with people in general, there is this sense of entitlement. There is a sense of, what are you doing for me now? I know as a book author, something that's always fascinated me is that when I've written a book and I've pub- you know, the book gets published, and it's really interesting that this happens. I've written some best-selling Photoshop books. And the book comes out. I've worked on the book for a year or two years. I'm not a book machine. I take my time and, and do it thoughtfully and carefully. And the minute the book comes out, almost invariably, when you talk publicly or you know, do demos, and uh, you know, here I am doing a great Photoshop demo, and I've got this new book. And people walk up to you and go, when's your next book coming out? <laughs> it's like... Wait a minute. Just got this thing out. You know, uh, here's my current book. You don't want to read. Well, when is the next book coming out? People, we live in this society where people want to be entertained. They have very short attention spans and they just want new, new, new. Give me new, new, new. Look, with the Internet, this is what happens. People want the website to be updated every 10 seconds. You send someone an email or someone sends you an email. If you don't respond in five seconds, then 10 minutes later you get an email. What's the matter? You're not responding to me. You know, with cell phones, people want to basically bother you at all times of the day and night. Instant messaging. Beep. Here I am. Talk to me. Here I am. Talk to me. Entertain me. Distract me. Feed me. It's like, you know what? Um, it's not about you. It's about me. And, and it's and, also about clearing the field of the debris of the crap. You know, it's like we have to be negative at, at some point and out these people for what they are. We can't just sit back and go, well, we're talking about an unknown, therefore everybody is equally valid. Well, and that's just not true. I think you're going to see this field eventually split. I've been saying it for years, and it hasn't well, it happened yet. It did split, though. At one time, it was two different fields. It that's was, right, yes. It was yes. the crazies and the so-called scientific researchers. Exactly. That line of demarcation. Then, and I think you might see that again, too. Well, it may be, but what happened sort of in the 70s and 80s, you had this merging where the people who were so-called scientific researchers had things that maybe put them in the contact camp. But mm. now... If you separated them, that would be good. But the problem is now is that at least when they have public sessions, they want you to believe there is one set of UFO believers. And they go on, they do their spiel like entertainers, as obviously this is entertainment. And we have here are the comedians. Here are the actors reading their poetry or whatever. Let's do a skit. Let's have the rock musicians on. And now that's it. And that's the way these things are approached. And, of course, when people cover these things and they don't understand the ins and outs of the UFO field, we go back to that again. They look and say it's just one tent and one circus. Mm -hmm. And I think you got the problem of new people coming into this all the time. I mean, as the phenomena reveals itself to more and more people, more and more people are going to be looking into it. 
And then you've got the hooks in the water from some people already that we know are not legitimate hooks. And these people experiencing something completely new to them for the first time ever are looking for some kind of explanation. And as David has said before, the Reader's Digest version is like the easiest one for people to digest. And that's how these people come about. Well, that's also the Occam's Occam's razor theory, which is I want the simple explanation. I don't want the complexities. Don't tell me about people from other dimensions or from other realities, whatever you want to call them, or from another time zone or crypto terrestrials coexisting with us here. Don't tell tell me me you don't know either. (laughs) Don't tell me you don't know. I mean, I've run into that in, in, in lectures after I get done talking, people will come up and say, well, are they real? And I say, well, that means, you know, real means what exactly? You know, you would get that kind of, of answer and they look at you like, like you're holding something back from them. Or, or, or I did you that get, once. who are they? And right. I say, I don't know. I I'll mean, go back through time in the 60s when I gave a public lecture in Atlanta. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at that point, I wasn't necessarily educated to the fineries or the fine distinctions of giving a public lecture. So I didn't come across as the expert, just somebody who was trying to present information about a subject that I felt was fascinating and deserved further study. So people would ask me, and a few would keep asking me, well, what about this? And I would say, I don't know. In other words, I was stupid enough to be honest about it. I say, I don't know. And afterwards, they go back to the person who sponsored the lecture, and I say, why is he so cynical about the subject? And he'd say, what do you mean? Well, he's telling us he doesn't know. Wasn't he there to give us all the answers? Right. Why didn't he give us all the answers? We wanted right. the affirmation of our UFO sightings. We wanted to know what was going on. And he was saying there were things he didn't know. We're supposed yeah. to know everything. And that encourages people, I fear, right. yeah. to I mean, make up stories as a result. What if that's a product of um, of just being an American? You know, I mean, is this because you're talking about uh, 20 years ago, uh, things were differentiated. Well, 20 years ago is about the time that the media really stopped differentiating between um, entertainment news and regular news. And this whole thing, you know, these questions: Who are they? Where are they coming from? What is this about? Those are far, far richer questions that demand longer explanations than the words imply. And I think I don't know is a far richer answer than most of the answers imply. So I, I think that, it, you know, the way that we question things, we got to keep in mind that, uh, you know, and this isn't just my own cynicism. This is partially what I'm gathering from Nick Pope. We're kind of a dumbed-down nation, this America, and we kind of don't know how to ask things and uh, know how to receive real answers. Absolutely. You are about to enter another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a sinister land of secret rites, passwords, initiations, and handshakes, where the truth remains hidden and history is controlled by an elite group of mysterious men. Imagine, if you will, that I'm holding a book in my hands that explains this secret history and that the name of this book is Conspiracies and Secret Societies, The Complete Dossier. Here is described centuries of dark dealing, lies, murder, mayhem, and cover-ups in the pursuit of unimaginable money and power. My name is Brad Steiger, and the stories you are about to read may have actually happened at the signpost up ahead. Your next stop, 
conspiracies and secret societies, the complete dossier. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our forums where you can talk to fellow listeners and gene and data. Just go to theparacast.com and click on the forum links. That's the forum links at theparacast.com. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney. We have Jeff Ritzman and Jeremy Vaney joining us. Guys, we have maybe 17, 18 minutes left, and we've been basically saying ain't it awful, or at least you guys have in terms of the negative aspects of this event. Let's look to the future maybe in the next 18 minutes, whatever we have left. Let's look to the future and say, hey, what can we do in a positive way, number one, maybe to have an event? that wouldn't have the crazies and the serious people. Number one, would there be a chance for it to succeed? Don't ask me to do it. I did my own UFO convention years and years ago, and I really do not ever want to do it again, and I can tell you stories about that some other time. I did that already. But seriously, somebody have an event that's serious, maybe that's one answer. Another way, finding ways to inform the public about what's going on so you don't have the circus, even though the people want the circus. So I guess we have to kind of appeal to that, but can we appeal to that sensibility in a way that doesn't compromise our principles and the information? Anybody uh, can say an answer. Uh, okay, well, I, I can say that, that um, I not to toot my own horn or whatever, but I mean, I've sort of done that. I mean, culture of contact, I think, you know, we only receive positive press with our event, mostly because we contextualize it in a way that's like, hey, here are these abductees, and we're now going to embrace the pop culture sci-fi stuff that sort of pokes fun at us, you know, because we're human too. And I think that that sort of caught on. And I think when we do it again next year, what I I think I'm going to do, I'm not definitely 100% positive, but is to to have the sideshow stuff, if we have to have the sideshow stuff, to have it be contextualized as this is part of the rich history of contact, you know, of the culture of contact. There are contactees from the 70s. There are hoaxes and all of this stuff and expose all of that, you know, in that broad sort of historical context. But another thing that I would like to do is go to, like I had mentioned, Steve Bassett. And actually, and you know, I haven't talked to Jeff about this, and maybe he'll just say, eh, eh. But I would love to do a double presentation where Jeff tells his story, which which is, to my mind, scary as hell in a, in a mind-opening, mystical way. And in my story, which I think is partially scary as hell, but involves more sort of, you know, overtly, I'll say, spiritual stuff, but is still at the heart of it, scary and mysterious. <laughs> and to say, look, here are these two points of view and they're not they're not exactly opposing at all really but but they do speak to do two different pieces of emotion and both of them are still are, are still mind-boggling and and frightening and is this really what you're talking about when you say you want contact because when you say that you want disclosure on this stuff or you say that you want to experience this what you're saying is you want to experience primal scream therapy without the therapy part okay that that's what you're talking about and whatever you walk away from that with is the point of view, you know, whether I'm saying, well, I think it's positive, or Jeff is saying, I don't know what it is, or, or whatever he's saying, that's what you walk away from. But the thing we're talking about is the same thing, and is that 
really, I mean, let's have a grown-up discussion, not about, you know, fake documents, not about whether something crashed somewhere, maybe, but really, this is what's at the heart of it. You know, we are the insiders. It's not these guys talking about government stuff. We're the insiders on this, and I think mm-hmm. we need to, to tell them that and to say that it's not about, again, a Stephen Gray. It's not about things landing and coming out and having a nice little sit-down chat with T. It's about going, oh, my God! <laughs> That's an abduction, people, you know, like in your soul, not just physically scared. I mean, beyond that, that is what you're asking for. Let's have a discussion about that. I'm going to use the example here that on the day we're taping this, I uh, did my first class this semester at Yale. Uh, I'm a lecturer at Yale, and I'm doing a class this semester called Digital Media for Scenic Design. And the mandate of this class is to take these first-year students and make them be savvy media techs. And I spent a lot of this morning, again, the day we're taping this, explaining to people that when I worked at Industrial Light and Magic, I discovered that every show, every movie that they work on there is a completely new set of problems. That techniques that are developed for one movie, you can repurpose some of it for the next movie, but effectively what ends up happening is that you have to invent new ways of thinking and new ways of working for every different show you work on. And what this really involves is learning how to become, A, a creative problem solver, which you achieve by becoming, B, a critical thinker. And I think that it's really, really crucial to try to get people to expand their definition of what reality is. And by the way, this doesn't just apply to the paranormal realm. I think that in order for certainly those of us in the United States to have any hope of pulling out of this desperate situation that this country is in, forget the spin, forget the liberal and conservative Republican and Democrat polarization nonsense, forget all of that. And to step back and to get the real macro overview and say, what is the real situation What are the things that we can verify? And then essentially use that to help map out the idea of what should we be considering? What are the abstract ideas that potentially have some real value? That is, I think, what we really need to do. We need to get people to put their belief systems aside, to put their vested interests aside. We need them to stop and, as a a collective to say, what is going on? Let us make believe for a moment that we none of us know anything, that none of us realize anything. Let's make believe that for a moment we need to come up with original ways of approaching these problems and to be thoughtful about this and not be reactive. This, I think, as a species is something we all need to do. We need to step back and assume for a moment that, yes, we are all one, that this planet that we're on, this is the only planet we have. All of the nonsense about we can travel to Andromeda in three seconds, all that junk. Toss it aside. Realize that, you know what? This is our one planet. We are one species. We have our differences, but in the end, we all bleed We all die. That's the deal. All of us. Every single one of us. No one is exempt from that. We have to essentially level the field. And that's a hard thing to do. I don't even know if it's possible. But we have to try. 
critical thinking and critical problem solving, creative problem solving, is going to be the only way we get anywhere with this. We have to look at all of the possibilities. But at the same time, we have to acknowledge that in as much as political correctness would have us think that everybody's opinion is valid, that people bring knowledge and experience to the table. When Bruce Maccabee says that an image is bogus, he knows what a bogus image is. When Nick Pope says this UFO case out of Britain is credible, is compelling, well, by God, this guy spent a lot of years looking into credible cases. When people can provide a sense of credibility and accountability for who they are and what their opinions are, we should be critical thinkers enough to know that those people's opinions have more weight than somebody who says, well, gee, I made a documentary and so everything I say is valid. No, we need to actually look at what people say and what they do. And Jeremy, you brought up a very good point. We are the insiders. We are the people who have lived through this stuff. We're the people who have had to integrate these odd realities into our lives. And when we say something about our feelings about this stuff, it's not coming from some desire to sell a book or sell a video. You know, on the Paracast forums, I've stated that one of the reasons that I find Jeff's story so compelling, besides the fact that I've looked into his eyes, besides the fact that I've spent many hours talking to him about this, I think that there is credibility when you've got someone like Jeff who's not looking for the adoration of crowds, who's not looking to sell product, who doesn't have a commercial agenda. I take that into account. Someone on the forum said to me, well, so he's not selling anything that makes him more believable in your eyes? And the answer is, hell yes, absolutely. And anybody who doesn't understand that is just not paying attention. I think we need well, to emphasize these things. Let me just say this before this show is over, because your opinion of me may change after I say what I have to say. <laughs> All right. The, we have a drum roll at, here or what? <laughs> yeah. Okay. At the request of a lot of people in my life that I've met, either online, my wife, several people, about six months ago, I started writing down everything that I know about what's happened to me, what I've seen, what I think about it. And I never really thought of about it in the context of writing a book, but I sat down today and wrote nearly 200 pages of more stuff and more stuff and more stuff. And I am going to throw my butt in the fire <laughs> and and I'm writing a book and uh, I don't think it's going to be too damn long getting finished and when it gets done the only motive for me and this weekend really kind of like relit my fire about it was because I really want to see people looking in different directions and, and approaching this from different angles so that maybe we make some kind of progress in it and that's largely the reason I want to do it but the other reason was as my wife Lisa said to me if you don't write this stuff down you won't forget it but you put a post up on the net or you do a radio show eventually that radio show is going to go away eventually that post is going to drop off the board and there's going to be no record of you saying what you've had to say and throwing it out there whereas if you put this in print it's going to be around for a hell of a lot longer than any radio show or message board will be around and to that end uh, as far as the monetary issue with that is that i'm going to try to publish it in such a way that I can take 
at least the monies or some of the monies that come out of it, and I'm going to donate it to the Fund for UFO Research, which which is a, a thing that McAbee chaired for a lot of years, I think, and they fund research into this kind of thing happening. So hopefully, at some point when I finish this book, which is not going to be that long in coming, like I say, I hope, above all hope, that it makes people look at this thing in a completely different way. And I'm not holding back the weird stuff. I never have. And hopefully... That's going to inspire some other people to to come out and speak truthfully, 100% open book, all out there, and let the chips fall where they're going to fall. So I just wanted to mention that before the show was over. Okay, well, I still respect you and I still love you. So, <laughs> so far, you haven't screwed that up yet. Um, yeah. <laughs> would anyone else like to scream, oh, my God, or was that just me? <laughs> oh my God. Uh, so I actually will tell you this honestly, Jeff. I think it's a good idea. Well, Absolutely. everybody else sure seems to think so too. And I know that when I posted a, a, just the, the very pinnacle things, or some of the pinnacle things on Above Top Secret, I had people writing me telling me, you know, you convey it in such a way that I can't read it anymore. And I said, well. I need you to read it because there's a point to it all. And I got a lot of people saying, you've got to write a book because there's no, going to be a new permanent record at all of this kind of stuff. And you can't be afraid of what people are going to think because you write a book. You think they're, you're trying to sell your life or you're trying to sell your story. And it's not about that to me. And, and, and I mean, like I said, 20 years, it's like I've never sold anything. <laughs> and I wouldn't charge for lectures. I'd get people calling me up for lectures saying, well, what do you want to come? And, well, I don't want anything. <laughs> you know. So it's, I mean, in as much as David says this show is therapy for him, I think it's kind of like the same thing for me with this writing and it's and I've never written a book and and I've never um, I've never tried to do anything like this before so it's a new experience but I think I got to do it and I think if I don't I'm going to regret it later on when maybe the details may not be as clear uh, for certain little subtle things that I have to and it's ongoing I mean it's still ongoing to a certain degree I mean meeting Jeremy he talks about it being such a great thing meeting me which is really funny because I felt exactly the same way it's like there's a reason you meet people and I'm not sitting here saying David Vietz is my best friend for no reason I met him through such a bizarre way and when we connected up and I told him this stuff that that's just it's just been rolling ever since and I mean this in all sincerity and he knows because I've told him this he's become practically like a member of my family like he's my brother that's the relationship that I have with this guy and that stuff doesn't just fall into your lap for no reason <laughs> so like I said there is more to life than we've ever been led to believe when it comes to this stuff and there's a reason that things are interlocking and things are locking down and things are locking together to some kind of end what it is I don't have any idea but maybe if somebody reads everything that I would put down in a book, maybe somebody can, out there can give me an answer or at least a guess or a direction. That's the I hope this book, like I hope people read it and say, maybe we need to start looking in this direction. Or hmm. maybe if I write the book, maybe someone will ask me to come and talk somewhere and somebody will come up and say, I've always wanted to go in that direction. Which way do you think I should go? I mean, if it can help turn anything. Man, I mean, that would be like, I'd, I'd cry. I'd be so happy about it. So, <laughs> you know, that's 
that's the point of it. So it's coming, and it, I don't think it's going to be long in getting out because I've decided to kind of like devote time every night to doing it, and we'll see where it goes. But uh, I just wanted to let everybody know that in kind of like a forewarning to head off, you know, possible negative comments that it's coming and I'm going to do it. And you heard it here first. So anyway, that's... Well, uh, I think, Jeff, if you need any editorial assistance or work, I know of two people who are experienced oh, authors well, who I'm sure it. would volunteer to assist. Believe it. It's, that's going to be asked. So, Well, I know <laughs> I'm here. I know work. David is here, so we'll be happy to help you Fantastic. And, and, and move it along and, and help you find the best way to present it. So we're happy Absolutely. to do that, and we'll promote the hell out of it. Right. And, as, and as everybody knows support. at this point, I'm not like the most eloquent speaker in the world, but when I start the writing thing, I feel, I feel like I can get things out a lot easier. Um, without a lot of ums and ahs and and those spaces where I'm trying to think about how best to voice something. It's so much easier, and I think I can paint a pretty good picture because the overall point of the book is I want to put whoever is reading it in my shoes so that you get people who say, oh, I want this experience so bad, and I say to them, you don't know what you're asking for. I want to put them in that spot so that if they can really say, well, okay, maybe I don't. <laughs> maybe I don't want to be in that spot. Well, um, we have about a minute left, Jeff, and I so, am very pleased to hear you're going to write this book. I look forward to seeing what happens. Jeremy, what do you have coming up? Anything? I got nothing, Gene. Okay, well, goodbye. <laughs> goodbye, Jeremy. It's been nice knowing you. As far as David, he has an appointment with me for next week's episode of the PowerCast. Next week, of course, we'll be talking to Scott Ramsey, talking about the Aztec UFO case. No, it's not Roswell. It's Aztec. And the following week, we're going to be talking about hmm, Stanton Friedman and Frank Faschino Jr. And one of the topics is a forthcoming book called Shoot Them Down, The Flying Saucer Air Wars of 1952. And we want to thank... Jeff Ritzman and Jeremy Vaney for joining us this week on the PowerCast. Amen, guys. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks, gentlemen. The PowerCast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney is a production of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Join us next week for a new adventure in the PowerCast.